Turundusraadio. Hello dear listeners and welcome to our marketing radio talk show number 245. I'm Anu Malnaric from Marketing Institute and I have today two guests via Skype. My first guest is uh, Dr. Gillian Ney, uh, who is uh, a scientist um, in uh, customer behavior. Hello Gillian. Hi Anu, thanks for having me. Ja teiseks Meelika Hirmo, kaudeaamuse kommunikatsioonispetsialist. Tervist Meelika. Tere. We can start with our main topic today to talk about customer behavior. And to introduce the topic, I would like to say that uh, um, if, um, if, if you as a marketeer uh, want to lead your customers to a particular decision as uh, quickly as possible, uh, you really have to understand the decision-making process. And Dr. Julian Ney is uh, one of our Italian Marketing Week um, 2018 presenters, and I'm happy that she's going to tell you uh, how to analyze the data, uh, how to find out, find out how people behave, and how to use the data for your um, successful uh, marketing campaigns. And let's start from the beginning, Julian. How to analyze the data and, and how to find out how do our customers make decisions? So it's quite a complicated answer. Um, I'll try to break it down as simply as possible for you. So, um, so it, it depends on what it is that you're trying to find out. My work concentrates mostly on social media data. It can sometimes get a bit of a bad reputation for being uncredible or untruthful. But the way over the past 10 years that I've been shaping up and developing models to analyze, the, analyze these conversations, if you're looking to analyze data to find out how your customers make decisions. So I tend to use social media data for when I'm doing this. Over the past 10 years, I've developed different models and frameworks that allows me to be able to get the the insight from the noise that's here because not all of the data is useful not all of the data is valuable so what I tend to do um, is I I look at a few different ways in which we we know we can easily find insights so um, one of the the really easy ways to find out how people make decisions is through using review data And what you want to do is find out what the important elements that keep on coming up again and again and again throughout those reviews are. If they're to do with product attributes, we would generally generally assume that those are particular decision-making drivers that people are looking for. So these are the things that are important to them to get them to make a decision. Other things that we can find from that kind of data are people's... um, purchase drivers, so what is motivating them to buy a new, say a new mattress for instance, which is what I spoke about during Talon Marketing Week. Um, And for a mattress, what we found out was that tends to be because people get a sore back or a sore shoulder, or it might be that the mattress has started to sag or dip, or they're renovating or moving home. So there's quite a lot of information and insight that you can get just from consumer reviews alone. How should the company um, put the data together uh, from different sources and how to make conclusions from that? So in terms of this, what, so you can get social listening tools um, and you can, you can purchase a license for those tools. What tends to happen generally when people start using those is that all those different sources, they will, pull, they will gather up information based on keyword searches and then it'll pull every single relevant message from, I don't know, sometimes a half a billion different sources. What I tend to do is begin to split that up. So I will look at review data separately to what I would look at Twitter data separately to Facebook data um, and any blogs or any forums and that kind of thing. We tend to, we, I tend to split that up in order to be able to analyze the data properly. Um, I then kind of overlay one of the, the metrics that we would be using. So one of my favorite ones to do is the decision-making heuristics. Um, and what we do is we look for, we look at the kind of frequency roundabout different mentions in relation to the products and the services. And then we look at the context behind those. So for instance, if you're looking at review data, you tend to find a lot of the time that people are saying that 
this particular product breaks easily or it's a waste of money. But what we want to do is not just take that waste of money. We want to understand the context behind that and what's actually driving that that particular um, behaviour to see if it's significant or not. Because um, if there's a lot that's happening within the one area um, and we've got hundreds of thousands of mentions all concerning the same thing and um, it, it could be that that's significant whereas if we've only got a few mentions in a large pool of data it, it might be insignificant it's just that those were kind of more recent and kind of thing so it, it depends on what it is that you're trying to do but we tend to look at volume um in combination with the, the context of that too okay how should the company, uh, if, if you bring together the data and, and the kind of the insight, what should the company do with the insight? So this is where, so at, right at the start of the process, um, we sit down with the companies that we work with. And I think that the, the general tendency just now is to get some data and to see what you can do with it. So that I wouldn't advise working that way. You need to sit down and you need to plan. So what is it that you want to be able to use the data for? That And then understanding that and where potentially that could be used. So we, I don't go in and analyse data. We tend to go in with a specific question that we need to, that we need to look at. Um, and we have a clear understanding about what the customer or what our client wants to be able to do with that data afterwards because that dictates... Um, the rest of the project for us so it depends you need to decide and then because we need to then after we've decided what it is that we want to be able to do with the data we can then pick the specific metrics and the focus of that research project to ensure that the client gets something that they can then action because i've seen so 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 many reports um, that just have, they basically just report what's in the data. They don't give any insight. The, the data's not been interpreted. And that's when the report sits on the client's desk or in their inbox and it gets unused. So you need to know what it is that you're looking to do with it, to do with the insight before you go in to do any analysis. Can you bring me a, an example about that? Sure. So I, I can't mention any names, but I can talk generally round about the project that I okay. that I on so we had a client who was was just looking to to understand a bit more about where the where their brand was in in their clients hearts and minds um so it was it was a brand perception exercise and we ran this brand perception project for them. So what I do when I'm doing something like this with social data is we do an awful lot of upfront research to understand what the segments should be like. So for instance, if you have, a, a, say, a mobile phone company, a cell phone company, you would have different we would break it down into the different cell phones that, that that person sells. We would then break that down into the different functionality of these cell phones. Um, and then we would have other things like the, the brand values and everything like that. So we go away and segment all that data. Um, so you can ha you can get quite, there can be a lot there because once you start deconstructing the brand, you actually understand how complex the brands are and the products and services that are sold. But in doing this, sometimes because you've got so much and you're not just answering, it's, a, it's such a loose question that you can get too much and you, you can miss the point of that. So we tend to go in and and break it down because with that, it's just with that particular question, what is our brand perception? There's sometimes not a lot that you can do with that. Um, we can make recommendations in terms of this is where you think that you are within the market, but this is where your customers feel you are. And here's some ideas to help to, to, that you can action in order to start to overcome if it's a negative perception or how to how to ramp up that positive perception. But unfortunately, they can't always be actioned in due to internal climates and, and the organizations and things like that. I know that in Estonia, there are a lot of companies mostly focusing on how to get the sales results. Mm -hmm. And often the, the, the challenge is then, how can we speed up the decision-making process? What is okay. your example about influencing that? So for this, I think what I tend, would tend to look for here is a few different things. So those decision-making heuristics I mentioned at the start, I would have a look to figure out what those are. 
I would also have a look to find out what the customer's psychological reason for purchase is. So that's slightly different to the purchase drivers, which I would also find out. So we tend to find that purchase drivers are kind of these intrinsic or extrinsic things. So for the mattress example that I gave during Talent Marketing Week, the purchase drivers are more around about the fact that we've got a sore back or they're around about the fact that we're moving house or that mattress has been sagging. Whereas the psychological reason for purchase really is to get a good night's sleep. So by beginning to layer in to get a good night's sleep into marketing and communications, you're then able to capture a lot more of that customer's attention and really get to get to the point about what's driving their need to purchase rather than these more tangible factors that you tend to find through the, the purchase drivers. We would also have a look to figure out kind of what the, the barriers to purchase are. So is there anything in their customer's mind that's stopping them from buying something? We would find those things out too. And what we would do is after we've kind of got into our customer's brains and walked in their shoes for a while in terms of what's driving their behavior, what it is that they need to see and hear in order for them to make a decision faster, we would then go back and we would do a gap analysis on how the brand is currently positioning their marketing communications and then how that journey flows onto their website. Um, what I would generally say is a general rule of thumb here is that it's the website that lets down the conversion. And it lets it down for a few different reasons. The first reason is that we're moving people from an emotive state in our marketing communications and then we're assuming they're being completely rational when it, they reach their website because we have so much information on there. Um, but And it goes into it goes into this rationalization process, but the customer's brain doesn't necessarily flick between one and the other just because it's from marketing onto the website. So we need to get better, better copy on the website. Um, if you've got a lot of different product attributes, um, and a lot of a lot of information there. Figure out what the decision-making heuristics are, and place those place those um, decision-making heuristics up front, so the customer can just say, "Oh yes, 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 it does these things. These are the things that are important to me." And then ensure any visuals that you have on your website of your product or your service, it actually shows that in context. Um, so they've got that visual representation there to say yes, because if there's anything wrong with that flow, the customer will say no and will drop out. Um, so it's just what we do is just ensure that all these little breadcrumbs that we know are important to customers are right the way through that sales journey. I just want to ask a concrete example. Let's talk about the mattress again. Mm -hmm. Until the visuals have to be right. You showed a lot of visuals during our seminar that were not exactly what we were expecting. If you should now, based on your experience, suggest that, okay, if you are selling a mattress, what should you put on the picture? What could it be? I think, and so in terms of those mattress ones, that's a good that's a good example because they are getting it inherently wrong because they're placing these mattresses they're outside, they're on crates, they're on the floor. So that's not the general association that people have towards mattresses. So it being in a bedroom in the first instance and actually on a bed frame would be extremely helpful. We also know that these people want to get a good night's sleep. So, and a lot of those mattress adverts just now, the people they are bouncing about all over the beds, it's looking fun, but it's not really conveying that they're gonna get a good night's sleep. So I think, again, kind of going back into the associations for that and looking at comfort and well, and, and associations to being well rested and things, um, and just being kind of rejuvenated from getting a good night's sleep on the mattress. Um, we would want to have people, we would want to be able to see their faces as well um, and the emotion that's conveyed on their faces, um, just to be able to get that. It can be quite difficult with the mattress, I get that, because generally with a mattress you would have it, you would have bed clothes on it, you would have all your sheets and your duvets and things, um, but we would need to remove them to, to showcase the fact that it was a mattress that we were selling. I know already that several marketeers are listening to you and saying that, okay, it's so general, how can we differentiate it? If everyone is showing the mattress in a bed, good night's sleep, and there are tens of providers of the mattresses in the matrix, how to differentiate in that case? So that's, again, it comes back down to your brand as well. So you, I think that a lot of the times now people are 
they're prioritizing products more than they're prioritizing what the brand means as well. And I think that the mattresses in a box examples are a really good case of that because they all look the same. Um, and they all do. They're all sold exactly the same way. I think being able to be a bit more playful in terms of what what does your brand mean? What does your brand stand? What does your brand stand for? And bringing some of those elements in as well, just to ensure that that the consistency and the communication there too. Yeah, I, <laughs> I I I do agree. I do agree with, uh, with with that. If I come now back to the to the customer behavior data, um, uh, and also the, the the analysis of how we we can analyze the data and information today, um, you do put also a lot of info or not information, but um, a lot of influence on how do people perceive uh, the pictures and the images. Uh, should a company also, uh, in order to try to understand customer behavior, analyze, for instance, how people see the pictures? Um, yes, so there's this is becoming quite more. This is becoming more important, and I think it's uh, semiotic analysis and things has been about for quite a while. Um, a lot of the social listening tools have now released um, visual analysis capabilities, um, and we should have a look to. We should be using these to understand a bit more about kind of what the customer is seeing. And how it is that you know what is it they perceive what is it they're perceiving from that or what's the message that's being communicated from that visual? Um, I think that a lot of the times because people are tend to use stock images, that there, there there's a big difference between what's communicated in the visual communication to what's actually been said in the written communication. But our brains process more visual communication than what they do written, so there can be a disparity between what it is that people think we're communicating to what it is that we're actually communicating. So yeah, it's definitely an important area. Can you bring an example about it? Yes, I can. So, <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> I, was, I was actually, I was running a session a couple of days ago with them, um, with some agency clients and I pulled some examples out of this very reason. Um, so there was a gentleman in my, my LinkedIn, uh, he was a LinkedIn connection and he had shared an article, and this article was from one of the one of the large kind of media publications, and they had used a stock image within within this article, and it pulled through, and that's the visual that came on to, came onto LinkedIn, and this this article was about being a, a good communicator and the fact that you had to listen more than what you had to speak, but the visual for that particular article was of a microphone okay <laughs> so there's a big there's a big difference between what the article yeah, it's about communication but it's actually more about the fact that you need to be a good listener rather than a good speaker but all the visual identity and, and visual evidence for that article was was with these microphones so there was a bit of a disconnect between what it is that they're trying to say and what it is that they're saying through the visuals Often uh, creative people, at least here in Estonia, argue that uh, the visuals have to be interesting and eye-catching and uh, people need to reflect on them in order to understand uh, that what's behind. So uh, I mean that the visuals shouldn't be maybe too simple and too right, uh, yeah. too, too right or too exact. Are they wrong or are they right? I think that... <sighs> That's a good argument, um, Anu. I, th I think that some, in either case, like you don't want to, a lot of the time you don't want to have anything that's too prescriptive. Um, but at the same time, you don't really want to have something that, that doesn't make a lot of sense or that people have a different association to that image that's not as strong as the one that you're using it for. Um, so, because there can be quite a there can be quite a lot that's that's taken from the image. Like going back to the case of that mattress, where these these new mattress companies are putting them on the floor, and the fact that they're putting them on crates, people are naturally assuming that you don't sleep in a bed frame on these things, um, and their whole advertising is is being geared towards that. Um, but that's not a reflection on how you consume that. So you need to be, you, can't, you do need to be quite careful in the fact that you're not creating new associations that are that are not true. Okay, but in the mattress case, uh, no one of the company had an idea that maybe 
if people don't want to change the current mattress what they have, we can create an additional need showing that they can really put the mattress on a floor and have fun on it and use it kind of not exactly as a mattress but on a different way. Or this was just kind of an occasion of the pictures, what, what happened. Yeah, so it seems to be like they generally all of those mattress companies they tend to have. The, I've noticed a few of them more recently. I started to switch them into small bed frames, which is maybe for because of this. I think that yeah, they wanted to showcase the mattress, not the bed. Um, but again, just because of the way that people process visual communication, that's had an it had had partly of an adverse effect on that. So there will be some people. That will be thinking, oh yeah, that that's that's great. And I have seen some of their customers post in images of how they use their mattress, and they have been on crates and things too. Um, so there will be some people that that's geared towards. But if we're talking about the mass, the masses, most people we sleep on a bed frame because we don't want to get a draft from the floor, even although we're on a mattress. So it, it, there's in some cases it doesn't quite fit. They could mix up the communication um, to show kind of both ways. Um, but it was just the fact that it was being more geared towards that being on the floor. Okay. When uh, when analysing customer data, what are the biggest mistakes um, companies usually do? I think that is to take the data at face value. Um, there's a lot of context can get stripped out of social data, and there's lots of hurdles to kind of overcome to be able to get the data. So we need to know a bit more about what it is that we're looking for and create segmentation criteria. Um, but the good thing about that also is, is that after you've done that, there's always like a bucket of data left that doesn't fit into there. So we can get some brand new insights that we, we didn't know were possible a lot of the time. But one of the biggest things is that they tend to report what it is that they see rather than questioning why that is happening. So an example of this, um, there's been quite there's been quite going back to the kind of visual analysis thing. There's been a lot of of the data brands, um, the data providers coming out and they've been analysing visual data, figuring out how what brands are most represented online. So, two of the biggest ones across the world are Nike and Adidas, which for various reasons they would be sports sponsorship, the fact that if you have um, if you tend to have a sports brand and things like that, the logos are quite a large part of that design in comparison to, to other shops that, that don't have their, their their logos everywhere. So they're very, they've become, they're, they're extremely visual online um, and there's a lot of people posting about them. One of the other things that the company did was is they broke that down into geographic location to see which one of these was most popular all across the world. Um, and what they were finding was is that Nike was more closely associated to the, the United States, whereas um, Adidas was more closely associated to Europe. But there was no further analysis on that. So what we would want to do was figure out why. Is it the fact that there's more Nike sponsorships across the US and more Adidas ones in Europe? Or what's the, you know, what is actually driving that? So they take it so far, but they don't then start to question the data after that to find out that why. Um, which is probably the biggest mistake that you can make. The Bank of England's chief economist uh, has suggested that people's Spotify downloads may be a useful tool for understanding the mood and behaviours. And, uh, and she discussed that uh, uh, it could be, be a very good uh, source for, for data analytics uh, and that could be um, used for uh, improved understanding of economic and financial system for a bank. So how would you comment this news? I think that it's, it's an interesting idea. Um, I do agree that there is, there's quite a lot of insights that can be gleaned from what people are listening to. I think one of the big things that might catch people out in being able to do this is the fact that they would just take the analysis for a short period of time. So it might be from today and tomorrow and what was I listening to, and if I was listening to sad songs, then maybe I was in a melancholy mood or something like that. But what we would need to do is, first of all, understand what the general viewing, what the general, sorry, listening behaviour is. So it might be that I just like really sad songs. 
um, and I listen to them all the time. So we need to understand a bit more of an, about the wider behaviour to then be able to break it down and understand these kind of micro moments that, that they were talking about. Um, the other thing is, is that I have other people use my Spotify account and they use it as me. So if anybody had tried to analyse that data, it would be all over the place. Um, because it's not just one person that's listening to it. So there, there's lots of little caveats within there, but it, it, it certainly does represent an interesting opportunity. Yeah, I just wanted to ask that, would this be something that, uh, that uh, companies could use for analyzing customer behavior? Um, I think that they, they, potentially, they potentially could. Um, again, I don't know if we actually can get can get um, public access to that data. I, mm -hmm. to, I meant to double check that before I spoke to you, but um, I, we need to kind of understand a bit what access we can have to that data. I know that Spotify have been running kind of ad targeting and things for brands via that via the data that they have. Um, so it could certainly represent an opportunity for them to, to be able to advertise and target on the Spotify program. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that it's kind of interesting ideas to play with um, with, the, with the thoughts that uh, that there are a lot of sources of data what we would be probably good kind of access easier or um, with a bit more difficulties but finally we come to the reason that really what would we do there with the information and uh, and how much is really needed for instance for a company to make decisions on doing something because mostly it's not about the question that how much data you have but more about what data you have and what is the insight am i correct yeah no you're definitely right there Anu. it's it's more that if you collect too much data there's going to be too many holes in it you're probably not going to find out what it is that you're looking for because there's just there's too much so that's why kind of at the start of the project that, that i run is we look to find figure out what it is that the client wants to be able to do with the data and then we start thinking about the the right sources and the right questions to ask of that data um instead of just of taking absolutely everything in because i think it, it data is great but you can waste an awful lot of time if it's a really bad data source yeah thank you and i i do encourage the companies um uh, at least here in estonia to take more attention to data, what they have, and also not just uh, the, the list of numbers, but really try to understand what's the insight, what do we need to know, and, and how we are going to use it based on the uh, information, what you heard from today's, uh, today's podcast. And we have a chance to move on now to our uh, third topic. And usually every week we talk about um, uh, the best cases in marketing. Uh, Gillian, have you noticed anything spectacular what you would like to bring out as uh, something that uh, the other marketeers would learn from? I think I can't say I found anything spectacular in a good way. I found a couple of examples um, here in Scotland, um, one of them came from um, another part of the UK, um, but it's about being able to understand who your customer is and what drives their what drives their behaviour. So there was an article from the Guardian newspaper, and it was going on about the increase in people going on things like baby moons, so a, a, a holiday before they have a baby. Um, but this particular article was talking about. Um, a jobby moon, which was a holiday before you start a new job. But unfortunately in Scotland, a jobby is a poo. Um, so it didn't go down too well here. And it got, it got quite heavily mocked and criticised. Um, so kind of learnings from that is about understanding more about the language and the references and associations that a, a certain culture has. So if you're doing more international advertising, for instance, and looking to looking to export, you need to understand more about the culture that you're going into because they might have different associations to, to things that, that, that you see and that you do. Um, the other one was a campaign about um, no to upsizing. Um, this was run in Scotland for um, 
the Food Standards Agency. And it was basically saying that when you go to a fast food restaurant or something and they're offering you, you can go from a medium meal to a large meal for for pennies and for not very much money. And they're, they're telling people to say no to upsizing. Now, while this is great and you can save an awful lot of calories and there's an awful lot of health benefits to it, the way that the the way that the campaign was delivered didn't hit the spot for a lot of people because they're believing the fact that they're they're being told what to do. Um, so you need to be able to then go in and kind of translate some of those behaviours and find a really approachable way. Um, instead of shouting at people and telling them what to do because they, they don't like that. And there are two examples um, from, from this week um, that have just been happening in the, in the UK. Okay. Um, uh, my team has collected a couple of examples also to discuss about and uh, maybe we can find something from here. Uh, yeah. There is um, um, two campaigns. Uh, one campaign comes from Estonia, uh, from our, one of the biggest or the biggest telecom company. Mm -hmm. that uh, has uh, uh, has uh, launched a campaign uh, telling that uh, that uh, the more you walk the more internet you get uh, for free i quite like that <laughs> and uh, and uh, for every 1000 uh, steps you can get 5 megabytes of additional internet and in maximum you can get up to 50 megabytes uh, per day and it means that you need to walk more than 10,000 uh, 10, uh, steps. Of course, there is some limit also for the monthly uh, monthly amount, uh, but but this is one of the campaigns. I quite like this campaign and the fact that it's it's geared to, it's geared towards healthy healthy living, but they're also being able to get something um, for doing that. There's there's a campaign that kind of runs in Scotland with young people. Um, that does that does a similar thing, and they can count their their steps, and they put those in, and they can they get points and and different prizes and things like that. I think it can be quite a good motivator. Yeah. So this was one of the ideas, and uh, the other one comes from um, uh, yeah, the source is Adweek, and um, and it's a news about a bakery in Argentina, as I understand, who mixed different breads in one bag to promote diversity okay I, again it's um I, I didn't i didn't see that at all i'll need to look that one up online um again that that's quite there's good visual representation there of diversity when when mixing up those different breads and i i, I do really like that that it's it's taken that concept and and um, making it relevant for for their own industry and their company i do i do like that one too I was just thinking about the, of the campaign, and, and uh, probably in Estonia it would be a bit different, difficult to to have this type of campaign as we are a kind of very closed society, a closed community. But I think that from a customer's point of view, I would really love to have a bakery mixing different breads because I don't want to have a whole loaf of uh, white bread or dark bread. I would like to have kind of slices of one and slices of another in one package. So in general, the idea of a product development would be something that is really... Yeah, it's it's, def it's definitely interesting. I think that, like, because we've got quite a we've got quite an open society here. And we've got it's multicultural here in Scotland. So I I just I liked the idea just com coming from my background as well. But yeah, um, from your product development stance, it could be quite interesting, um, because yeah, sometimes you don't want a whole loaf of one thing. If you if, and now our next task is that we have to choose a winner for this week, whom. Would you think that we could send the award as a kind of weekly, as a star of uh, star of a week? Oh, I think that the the bread in Argentina definitely. Okay, very good. Uh, so uh, we have. Uh, I I I do agree with you. I think it's a it's a great campaign, and and we have uh, we have the winner here. And thank you a lot, Gillian, for for participating. And uh, really, it's very good that we finally found the time. Okay. To share the experience and 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 your insights also to 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 the wider audience. No, brilliant. Thanks very much for having me, Anu, and thanks for having me across to, to Talent Marketing Week too. TV Sata Turundusite.
Ja täna meie järgmises osas me räägimegi Eeve Saja turundusid eest ja meie mõte on siis see, et igal nädalal tutvustame Eeve Saja ühte üritust ja arutame koos, kuidas seda üritust saaksid ettevõtte, et ära kasutada ja selle raames koostööd teha. Ja täna on meil siis Meelika Hirmo, kes on kaude aamuse kommunikatsioonispetsialist ja räägib rahvusvahelisest üliopilaste laulu- ja tantsufestivalist kaude aamus, mis toimub siis 22-24 juuni Tartus ja toob kokku tõesti tuhandeid kõrge tasemelise esindajaid Eestist, Lätist ja Kaleedust. Ja plaanis on siis 24. juunil laulupidu Jaanipäeva laulud ja laulupidu siis, kus ühinevad, ühinevad nii etenduskunst, rahvamuusika ja, ja spetsiaalselt ka Eesti Vabariigi sajandale sünnipäevale ja, ja kaude aamuse festivali jaoks kirjutatud uus looming ja kohale kutsute ka kuue riigi riigi pead. Ja meil ikka räägi nüüd kohe, täna vist pole enam mõte, et küsida kui kaugel on, sest me saame aru, et kõik juba laulavad ja on, on teil peaaegu, et vist peaproovides laval juba olemas. No jaa, selles mõttes, et tegemist on tõesti täiesti omapärase festivaliga, sest et festival kutsuti ellu 1956. Idee oli juba tegelikult esimese, nii-öelda esimese vabariigi ajal ja lihtsalt sõda tuli vahele ja idee ei teostunud ja pärast Staalini surma tekis väike selline vabanemine. Ehk siis tegelikult see festival on väga pikade traditsioonidega, aga sellel korral, et ta just Tartus toimub ja et meil on au tähistada ka Eesti Vabariigi sajandat sünnipäeva, et see on tõesti selline hästi mõnus kokku langemine, eks me selle nimel ka natukene võitlesime, et, et meie kord just selle lähel festivali teha aegs, sest et see toimub iga nelja aasta tagant ja igakord erinevas Balti riigis, nii viimast. See Eestis 12 aastat tagasi ja järgmine kord on seda festivali võimalik tõenäoliselt külastada Eestis 2030. Nii et on turundus ja kommunikatsiooni mõttes hästi suur väljakutse. Ei ole iga aasta, ei ole iga nelja aasta tagant. Eks siis kogu aeg tuleb just uuesti nullist hakata tutustuma täiesti uut festivalisest generatsioon on juba sisuliselt mööda läinud, enne kui jälle saab sellest festivalist rääkida Eesti inimestele. Kuu varjutusi Aga... toimub vist ka tihedamalt, kui teie festivali mulle tundub? Just, just, absoluutselt ja, ja eks see teeb ta selles mõttes eriliseks, võibolla siis sellest ei tüdine, see tähendab seda, et iga festival on eri moodi 12 aastaga nii kasvõi turunduses kommunikatsioonis, mis kõik on muutunud, et me muigasime, kuidas me piletime ühtegi 2006, mina ei olnud siis toimkonnas, aga tävikesed poodides müüsid pileteid, eks ole, oh. mingid online müüki, mingid Facebooki keegi sisuliselt ei kasutanud, Facebooki ettevõtetele või festivalidele ei eksisteerinud Facebooki turundusest. No, ma ei tea, kas Zuckerberg oskas unistada ilmselt oskas, aga... Oli ta siis juba sündinud või? <laughs> ja, oli sündinud ja juba tegeles oma ülikooli juures selle Facebookiga ka Euroopas. Seda suurelt ei tuli alles tegelikult, no hakkas tulema 2007 no ja 8, ole? Et, et selles mõttes nagu hoopis teiste vahenditega... Ja hoopis teistmoodi, aga tegelikult festival hakkab juba 22 juuni ja see on see päev siis, kus Eesti president koos uue külalis presidentiga osaleb meie festivalil ka ja algab see festival sellise tuled süütamise või manamise tseremooniaga kassitoomel, mis on siis selline tuntud kohtartust toomemäel. Ja, ja liigub tuhande tõrviku ronkkäiguga edasi ema ja kaldale sinna kaarsila ja tantsekanti, kus siis on avatseremoonia, mida ka seitsme riigi, seal Eesti president, publiku hulgas vaatavad ja naudivad. Ja ta tuleb selline suure jooneline teose ettekanne või mängi tervet Karmiina Puranat, vaid selle parimaid palasid, aga siin on kaasatud Eesti parimaid helivalguse videokunstnikud. Meil on elavat tull, meil on valgusefekte, efektsed kostüümid, dekoratsioonid, vee, vee peal toimub tegevus, sillal toimub tegevus ja määratame isegi selle tegevuse lõpetanud Atlantise ööklubi hoopis uue nurgaalt ello, et Mark Koldits on selle lavastaja ja, ja Tõnu Kaljuste on dirigent, et saab olema väga suure jooneline tasutusündmus. Aga ja selles mõttes seal edasi siis teeme esimese Eesti öötantsupöö, nagu mina seda nimetan Jaani Öömisteerium Tammestaadionil ja siis alles 24. poolest on laulupidu ja konsertetendus 
mis ühendab siis filmikunsti etenduskunsti koorilauluga ja kuhu on kirjutud ka täiesti uut muusikat, et see vastab tõele, et koorid laulavad kolmes keeles, õpivad ka üksteise keeles laulma praegu veel viimased ponnistused, aga tundub, et läheb paremini kui me nii-öelda ootasime, et suudetakse päris hästi üksteise keeled ära õppida, et ilmselt laulug ongi lihtsam õppida ka, et meil on väga palju tegevusi toimumas, ja. Väga äge. Kuna üritus kohe-kohe algamas on, siis ma loodan, et teie etendused on välja müüdud, saalid ja, ja väljakud ja kõik kohad, kus see toimub, on, on hunnikus rahvast täis, et vähemalt praeguse hetke peale kuuldes seda, kui äge see teil tuleb, vist peaks nii juba olema. No, tegelikult Eesti pileti ost ja käitumine suurte ürituste puhul ei ole selline, et väga pikalt pileteid etteostatakse. Eriti kui tegemist on festivaliga, no, mille, mille soos enamikel inimestel mälu ei ole, mille oli, sest no, viimane oli ju 12 aastat tagasi. Ja, ja meil on selles mõttes piletileviga tihe koostöö, me suhtleme, me oleme nende käest küsinud infot, Ja on ikkagi paratamatu see, et tegemist on ju Jaani päeval toimuma festivaliga ja paljud inimesed vaatavad oma vabaõhuüritusi ikkagi selle pilguga, et kui on suur üritus, ei ole 200 kohta, meil on tuhanded kohad, mis on vaja müüa, siis ikkagi vaatakse ilma pealt, vaatakse viimasel hetkel, mis plaanid on, aga tantsupeo välja müümisega on meil küll selles mõttes väga hästi läinud, et paremad kohad hakkavad kohe-kohe otsa saama, et seal on mõned sellised mitte nii prestiised kohad, kus võib-olla mingi postikene ja et need, kes tahavad, peavad küll nüüd kiiresti tegutsema, aga laulupid on ikkagi terve laulu väljak, et me näeme ette, et seal inimesed ostavad väga palju pileteid koha peal ja praegu ei ole põhjust karta, et koha pealt pileteid ei saaks müüa, aga no ilmselt tava etendus ja, ja tantsupidu samamoodi mõjutavad väga tugevasti pileti müüki, et väga paljud inimesed on meil küsinud, kas te olete hullud, miks te Jaani päeval korraldate linnas sellist sündmust, mis on küll Jaani päevale pühendatud ja tegelikult toob selle ehedama Jaani päeva kogemuse kui lihtsalt porstigrillimine ja sääskeda söötmine, mida võib teha ükskõik, mis jumala päeval, aga no nii ta lihtsalt on, et see on riskantne valik ja me peame hästi palju vaeva nägema ja kommunikeerima eriti arvestades, et me oleme mitte tulunduslik projekt, mis tähendab seda, et meie eelarve, reklaami eelarve ei ole selline, et me saaksime väga agressiivselt reklaami teha, siis hästi palju tuleb teisi võimalusi otsida, et inimesed üldse kuuleksid sellest sündmusest. Väga hea. Kuna meie selle lõigu eesmalt tavaliselt on see, et me oleme nüüd peagi, et ma arvan üle poole saja korra arutanud juba seda, et kuidas ettevõtted sellistesse üritustesse panustada saaksid, aga me oleme alati tõdenud ka selles, et no, et hakkake varakult pihta, et, et kui te lähete viimasel hetkel korraldaja juurde, et siis ta tõenäoliselt ei suuda, no, nagu lihtsalt ei suuda tulla kaasa enam muuta ei teedate ja mõtetega, aga selle projekti juures olete ju just rõhutanud seda, et teil peaaegu, et toetajaid ei ole, räägi mulle natukene, Kuidas te saate hakkama, kui teil neid ei ole? No meie üks sisse tulekallikas on nende kahe etenduse pileti müük ja teiselt poolt siis näiteks Tartu Linn, Haridusjadusministeerium, mitmed sellised toetajad on meil, mis on riiklikud toetajad. Aga tõepoolest see kõige suurem kulu on meil siin kahtlemata igasugune tehnika ja valgusefektid ja lavad, sest et me esitame sisuliselt näiteks tantsupeojaks. Peaaegu sama suure lava kui Madonnal oli, mis on hiigel suur Meeletu. nelja olimpiabasseini suurune tantsijate lava Tammestaadionile tohutu valguspark sellist no, hõist tantsupidu ei ole varem juba korraldatud, et, et saab olema selles mõttes no, peamine kulu ja, ja meie, me näemegi seda ette, et, et pileti müük ja siis toetuseks tulnud summa peab meid siis ära majandama ja ma arvan, et see on mõnes mõttes isegi mõistlik, sest et ettevõtetega ma olen väga, ma arvan, et koostöö on alati kõige parem kommunikatsioon tegelikult, et no. meil on väga hea koostöö EVSA-aga ja meil on linnaga hea koostöö ja teised ka siin vaikselt järjest ärkavad, aga tõsi on ka see, et kui paljud ettevõtted tahad pakkuda lihtsalt näiteks, noh, toon tuhat pudelit limonaadi ja siis tahaks oma logo kuhugi, kuigi järjest vähem räägitakse logo vahetusest, aga, aga alati kaasnevad selle koostööga mõlemale no, üsna mahukad koostöö tegevused, kui tahtsa seda koostööd teha tulemuslikult, nii et see on tõesti mõnusasti välja paistab. 
Ja sellisel hetkel tuleb tõesti mõelda, et kas see mõlemale poolele kasulik, et varem mõnedes projektides koostööd tehes on mõnikord olnud nii, et toetajaga kaasneb rohkem igasuguseid eri tegevusi projekti juhile, kui tegelikult kasu turundikult. Ma just tahtsin küsida, et mis teil selle tuhande pudeli limonoodi vastu on, kui vastu üles peab ainult logo panema. Ja, aga, aga selles mõttes, et meil on tegelikult kõik see lavade ja, ja, ja sündmuspaikade lahendus hästi mitte kommerts, vaid kunstiline näiteks lauluväljaku lavale tuuaks palju kaskesid ja sinna siis mõikisugused limonaditoot ja suured logood oleksid väga kummalised. Et meil ei ole sellis mõttes selline jaanipäeva simman kommertsüritus klassikalises mõttes, vaid me tahame, et lava ja valgus kõik oleks osa sellest kunstilisest konseptsioonist, mis teeb. Mm-hmm. Juba kitsendab neid võimalusi igasuguseid pännereid eri ooperist kohale tuua. Ja, ja kui see on lõpuks tuhat limonaadipudelit, siis no, seda, seda ei ole meile ka nii väga vaja, et mis meil kõige rohkem on vaja, ilmselt oleks olnud igasugune tehniline tugi, igasugune selline festivali korralduse kulude katmine ja seda tegelikult palju ettevõtte, et ei ole võimelised, ei suuda ka samamoodi teha, et kui nad just aga pikalt ette ei tea. Et me oleme otsustanud ja oma jõududega hakkama saada, aga on varasemast kogemusest ka väga positiivsed koostööprojekte, kus kus ettevõttel ülitab selle väga targasti enda kommunikatsioon ja näiteks keskkonna projektide puhul kindlasti tasub mõelda, et, et kuidas see, see nii-öelda toetatav ja toetaja oma vahel sobivad, et on olnud sellised sündmused, kus väga ökoloogilist vaadates seisab konverentse koostööd kommitootjaga ja siis tuuakse komme, kus iga väike komm on eraldi pakendis ja veel sellises pakendis, mida ei saa taas kasutada ja mis on kompostimatu ja edasi ja loomulikult see paar seda inimest, kes seal kohal on, vaatab sellele väga kriitiliselt, et see ei ole kasulik ei ettevõttele ega korraldajale selline koostöö. Et ettevõtte on küll pildis, aga ta ei jäta nendele osalejatele seda head maitset suhu, mida selle kommiga tahaks jätta, et samas võtad mõne teise kes ei pakenda näiteks või teeb orgaanilisi toteid, hoopis teine tunne tekib. Et ma arvan, et tihti peale see koostöö kuidagi on läbi mõtlemata poolselt, et nii ettevõtte kui ka, kui ka siis toetuse taotajal püüab igale poole korraga ennast sätida ja tulemus on see, et tegelikult on no, palju tööd, aga vähe kasu ja võibolla teine kord isegi jääb osalejatele selline maitse suhu, et ma ei tea, et kas see on ikka okay. aga, aga meil ikka, räägi mulle nüüd korra, kui me võtame selle sama teie ürituse praegu, kaudeaamusürituse, mis on suur, mis on väga äge, mis on võimas, kunstiline, puha, stiilne, seal on väga palju asju ja, ja suunatud ka sellele sihtgruppile, keda paljud ettevõtted taga ajavad ja keda on keeruline kätte saada noortele. Seal on väga palju asju, mis peaksid ühel ettevõttele tegelikult mõjuma ja tegema selle asja atraktiivseks, isegi siis, kui ta oma logo lava kõrvale või lavale panna ei saa. Räägi mulle, missugune oleks teie jaoks, nüüd kui sa saad natuke tagasi vaadata ja mõelda, ideaalne koostööpartner, mida ta võiks teile anda ja mis oleksid need asjad, mida ta võiks saada vastu sellest kontekstist lähtuvalt ilma, et ta tuleks kuidagi domineerima või oma nõudmise esitama, et mis see ideaalne tasakaalus suhe teie jaoks oleks? See on väga hea küsimus. Mina näen koostööd üle üldse selles mõttes laiemalt kui tõesti näin vahetus ja ma näen ka seda, et järjest rohkem ettevõtteid tõesti näevad, nad toetavad head ideed. Kindlasti see algab ühisest kommunikatsioonist, et lepitakse kokku, millest me räägime, kuidas üksteist toetada saab, kuidas me üksteist tutvustame mis kontekstis, et see algab juba planeerimise hetkest. Et meie tegelikult no, üsna varakult hakkasime rääkima, et me seda festivali teeme, kuigi uudiste mõttes uudis ei ole see, mis toimub poole aasta pärast või kaheksa kuu pärast, et nüüd hakkab see uudis foon kihamalles, aga, aga, aga selles mõttes ma ei, ma ei näinud ettevõtte poolt sellist proaktiivset käitumist, vähemalt minu kogemuse järgi ei olnud. Et meil olid omad partnerid, kellega me koostööd tegime, aga isenesest, mis oleks võinud juhtuda, olekski võinud toimuda see, et Et me oleksime ettevõtetega kuhtunud, rääkinud läbi, mis me teeme ja koos planeerinud tegevused. 
mitte sellisel viimasel hetkel hästi selline klassikalne vorst-vorsti vastu lahendus. See on see koht, kus ettevõtetel on võimalik ka lugusid jutustada. Näiteks koos toota ühiseid videosid, koos toota ühiseid kujundusi, teha eelüritusi koos näiteks. Korraldada koos näiteks toetada lavaehitusega, rääkida seda lugu, teha igasuguseid toredaid timelapse-videosid sellest, kuidas tohutu suured lavad valmivad, kuidas näiteks selle ettevõtte spetsialistid on abiks. Ma tean, et osad ettevõtted on kasutanud ka seda, et kes tahavad tööajast saavad minna natukene vabatahtliku tööd teha selliste festivalidega, Toidu ja joogipakku ja muidugi on tere tulnud. Meil on festivalil fookuses kohalik tooraine Lõuna-Eesti toit ja Eesti toit üldse. Ehk siis kõik sellised väiksemad tegijad on väga tere tulnud ja nemad on ka kaasatud, aga no, väiksemad tegijad tihti peale suuri sponsorluspakkumisi teha ja suuda, et kui meil on juba 4500 esinejad ainu üksi rääkimata tuhanded ja tuhanded publiku hulgas, siis ilmselt paneb ka mingid piirid, et Et nii, nii see on, et, et igal juhul kõige olulisem on see, et leitakse koos ja korraldatakse koos ühine selline nägemus, et see ei ole lihtsalt selline, et jah, visake siis meie logo ka üles või et nii, et kajastage meid kõikides pressiteadates, me toome teile kümme tooli näiteks, et, et see tõesti tasu ära kummalegi poolele. Koostöö algus, enne seda, kui, kui üritus toimub, millal peaks ettevõtta pildile jõudma, teie juurde jõudma, selleks, et kõik need asjad, milles sa praegu väga ägedalt rääkisid, saaks üldse ellu viia? See sõltub koostööulatusest, et midagi ettevõtta on oma ressurssidega valmis pakkuma, et kui nad on valmis kaasa mõtlema turunduslikult ja kultuuriliselt ja kommunikatiivselt, sest et tihti peale ettevõtetel ju ka, eks ole on piiratud ressurss, aga kui on tõesti huvi, siis ma soovitaks kas teha korralikult või, või siis võibolla mitte üldse teha, eks ole. Et, ähm, selle sündmuse raames oleks väga ideaalne aeg olla tulnud meie juurde oh, jaanorist kuni märtsini kindlasti ja ma arvan, aprillis oli meil veel ka paindlikust. Okay. Aga no, mai ja juuni no, meil on juba kokku lepitud lavakujundused, kõik sellised äh, asukohad muud. No seal on juba väga raske hakata midagi ümber tegema, ümber vaatama ja sinna on väga raske ka väga kiirelt tõusi sündmusi sisse lülitada. Aga no näiteks Kasvi Linnalavade programm, mis on tasuta, kus meil esineb hästi vahvaid kollektiive Lõuna, Afrikast ja Eestist ja Lätist ja, ja veel mõnest vahvast paigast. No seal, seal näiteks oleks olnud veel ka aprillis väga vabalt võinud mõned ettevõtted liituda. Ma olen üllatunud. Tunnistama, et ega me ei käinud neil ka järel, nagu, nagu, nagu sa mainisid, et me ei jahtinud neid tugevalt. Ja ma olen lihtsalt üllatunud sellest, et mul endal oli jäänud mulje, et oleks pidanud tulema vähemalt aasta varem. Aga tegelikult ei ole nii palju varem, et kui pool aastat lõtku on juba ikkagi see, millega saab midagi täitsa korralikult ära teha. No, see sõltub ilmselt ka korraldajast ja see sõltub ilmselt ka festivalist, aga meie festivali puhul, mis on üsna suur festival, jah, sest et tegelikult jaanuari kuus ikkagi, me teeme paljusid asju esmakordselt nii sellise ürituse formaadi puhul või, või ka meie enda jaoks üldse, et no, näiteks Eestis ei ole varem öötantsupidu tehtud, eks ole, ja me ei kasuta mingid suurt leedekraan, et valgus on see, mis lahendab kõik asjad, eks ole, et sellist asja pole keegi varem tantsupeo raamest Teinud. Ja siis meil on paljud asjad, mis, millega me julgeme katsetada ja riskida see sama jaanipäeva aeg ka loomulikult, et, et, et me ilmselt oleme oma loomult kollektiivine selline paindlik ja kiiresti reageerib üsnagi, mis on aru, et mingitest kontekstides see võib see jääda liiga lühikseks ajaks, aga, aga meil on tavaline see, et me püüame heidi teid ikkagi rakendada nii kaua kui see on mõistlik ja kui põhiprogramme ei haga kannatama, aga noh, praegu praegu on see hetk, kus juba põhiprogramm Absoluutselt. Ja mu teine küsimus tegelikult sellega seotud on ka see, et, et ma olen täiesti samal arvamusel, et asjad peavad olema tasakaalus ja asjad peavad olema jõukohased. Kui teil on nüüd suhteliselt väike tuumik tiim, nagu paljude tegelikult ka hiigel suurte asjade tagasi Eestis on, et vähe on organisatsioone, kes töötavad suure tiimiga, siis sellistes koostöödes Kui palju selliseid strateegilisi koostöliine te oleksite suuteliselt ära kannatama või mis oleks teie jaoks mõistlikud, 
et kas see on üks, kas see on kaks, kas see on viis või kust kohast tundub, et kulge, et aitab nüüd küll, et me lihtsalt ei suuda hallata. Mm-hmm. Nagu turunduslikus mõttes. Ja see just, kommunik- jah, jah. Nagu no. ka oma organisatsiooni ja partneruse mõttes. Ja meil on selles mõttes veel selline eheprojekti meeskond, et meil on väga paljud inimesed töötavad üldse oma vahel esimest korda koos ja ei ole tegemist sellise organisatsiooniga, kus inimesed ju aasta-aastalt festivali jaoks kokku tulevad ja korraldavad. Mina korraldan kaudaamust esimest korda nagu ka paljud kunstilise toimkonna inimesed ja, ja paljud meist ka oma vahel ei ole varem isegi kohtunud. Ehk siis see on selline tõesti ilmselt meie jaoks neid strateegilisi liine esialgu liiga palju või saaks olla, ma ütleks võibolla kolm, neli, kui nad on ilusti, kui mõlemad võtavad vastutust, sest et noh, ma olen ka kogenud varasemast ka selliseid koostööid, kus kus lepitakse mingides asjades kokku, aga siis ühele või teisele on see suurem koormus ja see ei ole enam hea koostöö. Mm-hmm. Et, et seda tööd peaks mõistlikult jagama, ülesandeid peaksid võtma mõlemad osapooled ja, ja see, see mõnus töörõõm peaks jäämast, kui sa teed sellist festivali ja sul on veremaitse kogu aeg suus, siis see ei ole see festival, mida niimoodi teha, see peaks olema kõikidele meeldiv kogemus, kui ka väga suur pingutus, et, et ma ütleks ah, kolm-neli, et väga tore oleks olnud näha mingid vahvad sellist suurt sotsiaalmeedia partnerit näiteks ja, ja, ja väga tore oleks olnud ka näiteks mingi selline partner, kes, kes oleks huvitunud just sellist videokeelest, sest et video on äärmiselt oluline ja kui seda hästi toota, siis ta toob mõlemale väga palju kasu, et Aga selliseid partnereid on ka üsna raske leida, et video, hea, hea videotöötlus kiirelt ja atraktiivselt ja mitmeid erinevaid senaariumid kokku panna, et see on, ma saan aru, muidugi kõigile üsna suur töö, aga selliseid asju mina soovitan, et ühiselt kuidagi jutustada lugusid, mitte lihtsalt rääkida tootest. No, meil on tegelikult sarnane koostöö väiksemas mastaabis küll pühaste ja peninukiga, kes teevad meile spetsiaalselt festivali Siidri ja festivali õlle, mis on nende poolt ju loomulikult eraldi töö ja pingutus ja me seda ka osaliselt asustame, aga loomulikult see ei ole nende mõttes selline, et nad lihtsalt müügiga kuidagi rikkaks saaks seal. Et see on ikkagi eri projekt, aga no ma tean ka seda, et juba käivad jutud, et nii head pruulid said, et võiks täitsa jätta, jätta nagu töösse ja ma ise proovisin olid tõesti maitsvad, et, et sellised väiksemaid koostööd on, et Tartu kohalikud söögikohad ja lokaalid on mõnusasti kaasa tulnud, et mõni on see inspiratsiooni saanud teinud spetsiaalselt nii alkoholivabad kui alkoholiga kokteilid, eks ole, et mitte et siin nagu otsest alkoholi promooda, aga noh, Selline nagu tore suhtumine on tulnud pigem selliste kohalike ettevõtete poolt, näiteks, et Tartu talu turg ja, 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 ja veel mõned sellised kohalikud tootjad, kes ongi tegelikult festivali alguses peale käinud ka mõnedel koosolekutel, kui me räägime toitlustusest näiteks. Et no, meil on ka toitlustuse mõttes nagu täiesti hullud ambitsioonid. Näiteks meil osale, et no, tuleb on meile 4500 esinejat umbes, toitlustab sisuliselt peakokk ja suur toidukuru Ants Vustalu, kelle soov on siis 4500 inimest sirka tunni aega niimoodi ära toitlustada, et neil oleks tõeline maitseelamus ja sõdurisuppi wow. pakku ja pakutakse orsotosid ja pakutakse liivima lihaveist ja taimetoidu ja veganvariaidid ja, ja seda, noh, ma ei ole näinud no, ühel laulu, laulu tantsu peole aadsel sündmusel ka seda, sest noh, muidugi seal on ka veel suuremat kollektiivid, see on veel raskem, aga juba see on täiesti hullu meelne, mis moodi toidu tiim koos käib ja mõtleb, et kuidas pakkuda toitu, mis näeb ilus välja, maitseb hästi on värske, et oleks see kohaliku tooraine tase säilinud ja loomulikult neid häitoite saavad ka, saab ka publik, aga pisut teist me nüüd, et, et no sellised, sellised asjad eeldavad pikemad koostööd, läbimõtlemine, see lahendus, et see on ka Ants Uustalu jaoks ikkagi nagu üsna esmakordne kogemus, et tal on rahvusvahelist ja Eesti kogemust ja suudab ma arvan pingeid hästi taluda, aga no need on need toredad lood, mida mõlemad saavad jutustada, kui nad on selle festivali korralduse osa, Ja see on ka tegelikult kliendile veenvam kui selline logo peale ja, ja osta või eri pakkumine. Et see on sõike koostöö, millest mõlemad läbi infot positiivses mõttes. 
Väga äge. Ma olen täiesti nõus kirjutan 100% alla ja, ja juba mõtlen, et kahju, et ma noorem ei ole siis õpiks laulmise selgeks, et tuleks teile siin esinema või tantsimise selgeks. Mina olen tõdusta vana, et seal laulda, et aga selles mõttes, et see kollektiiv korraldusse toimkond on tõesti no meil on korraldus toimkonnas nii aloritsing, kes ei ole enam oma esimeses nooruses, eks ole, on pensionialisi, aga on ka noor, et selles mõttes kauda aamus ja ka tegelikult jaanipäev on generatsioonide ülene, ta on küll noorust ja üliõpilas elu selline propageeriv sündmus, aga samal ajal ta ei piiritle absoluutselt ennast ja ka programm ei ole no, selline noorte üritus, kus erinevas vanuses inimesed võiksid tunda ennast natuke kohatuna, et see on täp- absoluutselt selline sündmus, kus kõik, keda huvitaks kultuurne elamus jaanipäeval, võiksid ennast suurepäraselt tunda ja saada ühe tõelise elamuse ja kindlasti julgustan, et, et ei pea kartma seda silti, et kas midagi on üliõpilastele või midagi on vanemajalistele, et see number passis enam ammu tänapäeval midagi ei näita, et küsimus on ikkagi programmis ja kui programm kõnetab, siis tasub kindlasti tulla. Mul on täiesti nõus. Aga aitäh sulle, aitäh sulle meelika selle sissevaate eest ja selle väga huvitava, huvitava inspireeriva intervju eest, et ma loodan, et siit on meie ettevõtjatel väga palju õppida, selleks, et olla, olla targemad ja mõistlikumad koostööpartnerid. Ja siis 2030 on uus võimalus. <laughs> Jaa, juba. Nii et praegu juba õige aeg mõtlema hakata, et kus me siis 2030 olla tahaksime. Jah, saab planeerida küll veel. Väga hea. Aga suur tänu sulle meelika ja meie kallitsaate kuulajad, teie kuulake meid taaskord nädala pärast, sest siis ole meetris juba uute mõtete ja uute ideedega. Sulle meeldis turundusraadio. Teili endale meelde tuletus järgmiste saadete kohta Marketingi instituudi kodulehelt.